Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the Show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back with another original versus remake that isn't too dissimilar to what we did last month for original versus remake. They're both vampire films. Oh, okay. And oh, they're what? both gay undertones. I've slept since then. What was last month's? Nosferatu. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so right off the bat, we're going to give you your uh, poll results. And uh, we've got 85% for original and 15% for remake. Um, well, you know what? This film has a good remake. Uh, could you agree? As a decent remake, it, it we'll get into it, but I, I think it loses some of the charm of the original. Yeah, it's very modern. Yeah. Very modern. Yeah, and it does everything that a modern film, a horror film does, and it's especially a modern horror film remake. It, yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah, so the 1985 original was directed by Tom Holland, who, uh, this was his debut film, and he went on to direct Child's Play, uh, Fatal Beauty, and uh, Finna, the Stephen King film. Uh, it was made on a $9 million budget and made its money back. It was a success. Made more than its money yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it got a sequel, didn't it? Yeah, um, it, it was the most financially successful horror film of the 1985 summer season and the second highest grossing of that year behind Freddy's Revenge. Ah, so, uh, yeah. At the time of filming, uh, the <laughs> studio paid all attention to Perfect and uh, The Slugger's Wife. Other films that they thought would be more financially successful, they didn't really think this was going to be a success. So that kind of gave Tom Holland, not Spider-Man Tom Holland, by the way, Tom Holland uh, <laughs> the freedom he needed to make his own film without studio interference because they weren't paying any attention to it. And it could have been a very different film. If they, yeah, that's you know. true. If they'd overdone it, mm. their involvement. I mean, I've never heard of The Slugger's Wife, if I'm being honest. No. Uh, I've heard of Perfect. Perfect's obviously, obviously John Travolta. And, uh, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Infamous uh, aerobics <laughs> film. Um, yeah. Maybe a future <laughs> podcast episode, who knows. Um, Holland actually wanted it to be a vampire version of The Boy Who Cried Wolf, and that really does work out quite well. It's obviously very influenced by uh, Rear Window yeah, as well. Yeah, It's a concept that's been done to death, but it, this does it in a very inventive way, I feel. I'm not sure if I get The Boy Who Cried Wolf. In the way that... But The Boy Who Cried Wolf, the, the, the fable is that he keeps... He, he never tells the truth, and then when he eventually tells the truth, no one believes him. Suppose so, but it's just straight to not, people not believing him. Yes, yeah. this is pure Rear Window. I, I'm not yeah. sure if... He was trying not to um, mention Rear Window, but yeah. it, it's it's absolutely Rear Window. Uh, in 2015, Tom Holland was actually asked if he could do a direct sequel to any of his films, what would it be? And he chose this one. He said it would involve uh, Charlie Brewster as, a, as an older man with uh, two kids, single parent, and uh, they move into his old house, and uh, his kids are terrorised by Evil Ed next door. Okay. No, that's that's not too bad, actually. There is actually a sequel to this, which is very good. Um, I can't remember a lot about it, but I remember enjoying it. Uh, there's a sequel to the remake as well, which I turned off after watching 10 minutes of it, because okay. it was dreadful. <laughs> um, but it, they say it's a sequel, yet Jerry is a woman. They do a gender swap. Isn't his and, sister? No, it's actually Jerry Dandridge, but uh, gender swap. And uh, the whole new cast play everyone else. 
So I don't know why it's called Fright Night 2. Oh, you're talking about the sequel to the remake? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, I meant the sequel to the original. Yeah, the sequel to the original, I think, is a sister. Yeah, I think it's a sister. Um, Peter Vincent, the character in this film, was based on and written for Vincent Price, using the names of Peter Cushion and Vincent Price put together. Um, but obviously went to Roddy McDowell, who decided to uh, go for a more old hammy actor who, who can't act. Um, sort of thing he's only had one or two successful films that's the sort of backstory he was going for and it works really well oh yeah yeah right a lot of Ronnie McDowell films he's the best thing about yeah. and I, I think he's fantastic in this this is one of my favourite roles of his he does so much like he you could tell he really enjoyed playing this role yeah yeah I think he just enjoyed acting from, from yeah. the interviews and featurettes that we, we've seen I think he just really enjoyed film really enjoyed being part of films yes yeah. and that that shines through in a role like this definitely uh, Charlie Sheen was originally uh, auditioned for the role of Charlie Brewster okay. could have been a very different film uh, the nightclub f- scene was filmed in the same nightclub as the scene from Body Double with Frankie Goes to Hollywood <laughs> yes which you can uh, two iconic scenes yeah you, you can tell um, the 30th anniversary Blu-ray was released in 2015 and 5,000 copies sold out within 48 hours, which just shows how much of a massive court following this film has, because I remember for a long time it wasn't available on Blu-ray. Um, it, it was quite hard to get out of on DVD as well. It, yeah. it's, it's kind of like the Monster Squad in that, in that sense, and Monster Squad still hasn't had a Blu-ray release in the UK. Um, there's, there's so many of these horror comedies from the 80s that people love that, you know, are easily forgotten about, but they're, you know... Great films. Uh, the original ending had Peter Vincent transforming into a vampire on live TV, like uh, like The Howling. Oh, okay. Is this after The Howling? I don't know. I think it is. I don't know. I kind of feel like The Howling was after this. Oh, okay. But either way, one, great was, one was going to copy the other. Yeah. Um, finally, one of the most um, important things I've got written down here, um, which we should have already done this next month, uh, this is actually embraced by the LGBT community. Uh, Evil Ed is presented uh, as an unspoken gay character uh, and played by a gay porn star. Yes, he did go into gay porn after this. Um, th- there's a relationship implied between Jerry and Billy. Uh, very heavily implied. I was going to say implied. Yeah, like um, there's a scene where Billy's cleaning up Jerry's hand and he's, he's on his knees in front of his crotch and it's not subtle. <laughs> it's not subtle at all. I think it's ironic that um, this came out the same year as Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, yeah. I think 1985 was... Right, the 80s was, it was a funny time because obviously you had the, uh, the AIDS uh, epidemic. I, yeah, I, I think any sort of gay-seeming film... From the eighties, uh, particularly horror, um, is always going to bring up analogies of AIDS, and the AIDS crisis yeah, that was going on. For and that's time. that's the thing. People think it's an, an allegory for uh, sexual identity, homophobia, and AIDS, which, uh, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, you know, watching it and knowing that it, it's it stands out. Really, it stands out like a sore thumb. Well, yeah, I, I mean, vampire lore in general is i think we've discussed it before and you know 
Dracula as as a character as uh, as a vampire lures his victim in in a very sexual way, mm. and these victims give in to him sexually, yeah. and they're the worst for it. You know that screams STIs and in particular AIDS. Yeah, and what's interesting is with both this and with Freddy's Revenge, uh, the the Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. You can kind of look at these. And swap around the protagonist and the antagonist. I mean, if you look at this in the way that Jerry and his boyfriend are moving in next door and Charlie Bruce is constantly bugging them and, you know, you got the whole scene of Jerry bringing Ed into his arms saying, I understand how different you are and everything. You can look at it like Jerry's the bad guy and Charlie Bruce is just bugging him. Yeah, if, if it wasn't for the dead women... Yeah, if, yeah, 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 of course. But again, that can be seen as, uh, you know, the allegory for AIDS. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's 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 really oh, strange. Look, looking at it like that, you could look at the film in a completely different light. Do you think the writer had that those intentions? Absolutely. If you asked them in the 80s, they'd have said no, but I think if you asked them now, they'd absolutely agree with that. And it's exactly because, the same as Freddie's yeah, Revenge. Yeah, because it's embraced now by the LGBT community. Whether you look at it as a negative or a positive... Gay people love this film and they embrace it as one of their own. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, you know, we're obviously getting more progressive now, but to, to hold on to something like this from the 80s, a time when, you know, there wasn't exactly a gay film every other week being released. It, it was a huge stigma. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you had the president and his wife on TV, you know, basically shaming people for having AIDS and mm. completely ignoring it. Yeah. You know, it, it's only within the last 10, maybe 20 years, mm. really, that it's been pushed to the forefront yeah. and it doesn't have a stigma attached to it. Yeah. You know, it's not seen as a dirty disease that only gay people get. Mm. Uh, but at the time, in 1985, it totally was seen that way. Yeah. Because no one was there telling anybody any different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at nowadays, you, you get films like uh, Call Me By Your Name and, and Love, Simon and you know, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and they present gay relationships like it's no big deal. They don't make a, a massive deal out of it. You know, you've got protagonists who are gay. But when you look back at the 80s and like I said, with this and Freddy's Revenge and even stuff like Lost Boys and Hellraiser, you know, the, all the allegories are presented in the way of the villains. Which, like I said, now you look at it now, it could look at it differently. Yeah, I th- I think we get into that point. I mean, it, they'll always still be looked at gay stories mm. where gay characters struggle with the fact that they're gay. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and it's it's seen as normal now, and it's a normal relationship, and it's viable for that to be the center of a film, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. But I don't think you're gonna get a grand love story like Titanic. Mm. As a gay love story. Yeah. I don't think we're quite there yet where it's not... The, the love story isn't necessarily about them being gay. It's about something else, mm. you know. I, I, I'm not sure we're quite at that point yet. I don't but know. I mean, films like Love, Simon, mm, you know... Probably By Your Name was nominated that. for Best Picture. Oh, absolutely. But that's still seen as a gay film. Yeah. It's a gay film, not a... Romance that yeah. happens to feature gay characters. Well, more on that next week because it's not quite Pride Month yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, 
for a more straight film. 2011, Friday Night 3D was released. Uh, directed by Craig Gillespie, who directed the fantastic High Tonya. The not-so-fantastic Mr. Woodcock. Um, starring Sean William Scott. Uh, is that the Susan Sarandon yeah, film? Oh, yeah. my God. Um, this was made on a $30 million budget, so it's a lot bigger scale. It's in 3D. 3D is great. Um, again, this is a success. Uh, Heath Ledger was considered for the role of Jerry, the vampire, before he passed away. Yeah, I think that would work. Yeah. Steven Spielberg contributed the shot of the crucifix going into the swimming pool and the fourth stage of Jerry's makeup. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the, the first one. it. How so? He, like, helped direct. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um... I mean, with Steven Spielberg, both original remake, these are very Steven Spielberg-esque films. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, You've got your so. suburban neighbourhood in America, your boy next door, you know. See, so it's very, like the Burbs. It's very much like the Burbs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which was, I think, Steven Spielberg maybe... No, that was Joe Dante. What the fuck am I talking about? But yeah. I think he had some sort of involvement with it. I've, uh, during sort of... Well, the eighties and nineties, that a lot of films threw back to classic Hollywood or that time in a, in American culture. Um, so you, you you had stuff like Fright Night and its love of classic horror. Mm-hmm. Um, when was Matinee released? Matinee was nineties, but you also had uh Night of the Creeps. Yeah, that was like a throwback to your B movies of the fifties. Yeah, and... you had. I mean, even looking at something like Gremlins. Yeah, you, you know, that little creature feature mm-hmm. that that came about, and Steven Spielberg. Um, I think he loved those kind of films by all accounts. Yeah, and, yeah. It was during that sort of period that you had this throwback and, and, and nostalgia to these films. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, not for me, I wasn't alive. Um, but for an audience at the time, there would have been a nostalgia attached. Yeah. Uh, some facts about Colin Farrell. He was concerned his character was too much of a sexual predator, but the uh, scriptwriters didn't want to rewrite anything. And he also requested a Latin monologue, which never made it to the screen. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, in essence, vampires are sexual predators. Yeah. They are. I think Colin Farrell comes across a little uh, pretentious. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Uh, you you are just playing a vampire next door. Yeah. Let, let's be honest. <laughs> um, the car chase sequence was filmed in one continuous rotating shot. Oh. So that's... And that's... Yeah, we, there's hardly any trivia for the remake... But um, would you like to give us a synopsis on the original? Yeah, I'm going to give you a nice little brief synopsis on the original. Um, So Charlie Brewster is a 17-year-old classic horror fanatic. He's a big fan of Peter Vincent, who hosts the local um, sort of horror film night. Yeah. Sort of in a similar way to Elvira, where he introduces these horror films. And he starred in a few of them. And... He's getting a bit frisky with his girlfriend, Amy. It's going to be their first time. And he notices he's got a neighbour next door through the window. And it's uh, Jerry. And he... Jerry pretty much reveals himself yeah. <laughs> early on to be a vampire. He's got a lady friend in the window and bites her. 
and there's women that are disappearing and Charlie believes it's Jerry. He sees a coffin being he brought sees, in, Oh, he? yeah. Uh, so Jerry and his living carpenter, <laughs> Billy, are seen uh, moving a coffin by Charlie. So obviously in these type of films, Charlie's not believed. He tries to tell everyone he thinks his next door neighbor's a vampire. Um, turns to his girlfriend, uh, Amy, and his friend, Evil Ed, and they dismiss his claims. Um, but eventually, Jerry starts sort of getting... Well, really, Charlie gets involved in Jerry's business with or without his friends. Mm-hmm. But then Jerry takes exception and basically says, back off or I'll do some damage to you and your family. Um, This eventually leads to Evil Ed and Amy both becoming vampires. Charlie turns to Peter Vincent for help. Uh, Like everyone else, Peter Vincent doesn't believe him to begin with. Uh, But after a showdown with Evil Ed, who Peter Vincent eventually kills... Uh, Peter Vincent and Charlie go to um, Jerry's house to confront him, killing uh, Billy and Jerry and saving Amy from the uh, grips of her vampirism. And they all live happily ever after. Yeah, apart from some eyes in the window. Oh, so at at the the very end, end, um, Charlie peeps over at uh, the house formerly owned by Jerry and see some red eyes, and we hear Evil Ed laughing, don't we? Yeah. Um, so 2011 is actually quite different. Um, we open with Peter Vincent on TV, like the original, and we see a, uh, a guy and his family being murdered. Uh, then we're introduced to Charlie Brewster and his mum, played by the wonderful Tony Collette. Uh, Amy picks Charlie up from school, introduced to her, introduced to some of the... Um, jocks at the school and then we're introduced to evil ed who is concerned about missing kids in the area thinks there's something going on him and charlie go to investigate in a house of the guy from the start of the film who went missing and uh, ed tells him that he thinks his neighbor jerry is a vampire turning the tables on the original where charlie thought he was a vampire so one thing leads to another ed gets uh, bitten by uh, by jerry and uh, the next day, Charlie goes to Ed's house to see what's been going on and finds videos on his laptop of Jerry um, taking his bin out and such, but you can't see him on the camera uh, because he's a vampire. So uh, after this, Charlie sees his neighbour going into Jerry's house and uh, Amy's trying to get it on with him, but he doesn't want to know because he's too busy spying. So he goes next door, he breaks in after he hears screaming and the police don't want to do anything about it. And when he goes in there, he finds Amy, takes her out of the house, and she explodes because she's a vampire. Uh, after this, Jerry starts, you know, realising that Charlie's getting in his way. Charlie goes to visit uh, Peter Vincent, who is a magician in this film, who hosts shows where he kills vampires for illusion. And he's pretty much Russell Brand in this film. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, yeah, Peter Vincent tells him to fuck off, quite literally, and, uh, after this, Jerry kills the bullies from, uh, the school, the jocks, and, uh, tries to blow Charlie's house up just so he can come in, and, uh, because they're not inviting him in, 
So Charlie, his mum and Amy drive away to escape and they have a high speed chase where uh, they get attacked by Jerry. Jerry kills a random driver on his way back from Las Vegas. And uh, after this, Peter Vincent realises that uh, the vampire that's been attacking them is actually uh, the vampire that killed his parents because we're in 2011 and if we're going to do a remake, we need a backstory. <laughs> and uh, Ed turns up at Peter Vincent's place. They, uh, they take him down, they kill him because he's obviously a vampire now. Uh, after this, Amy is taken by Jerry. She's bitten. And as with the first film, Peter and Charlie go to Jerry's house, take him down and save Amy from vampirism. So let's go to... Uh, oh, and the ending's the worst thing about the film. It's just Amy and Charlie get it on. That's it. Yeah. And then it ends. In Peter Vincent's house. Somewhere. Yeah, it is Peter Vincent's um, house. Anyway. Well, I suppose Charlie doesn't have a house. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true. They get blown up. Um... So, cinematography, scares, gore, effects, and score. So, 1985, uh, this is an extremely well-made film. Yeah, it is, actually. Even by today's standards. Yeah. Like, the practical effects are phenomenal. They, you know, it, everything looks great. Nothing looks cheap at all. No. It's 1985, so it, it's going to look slightly dated, mm. part, parts of it. Um, but... All in all, you know, they did a really great job for that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's some great cinematography as well. It's, um, it's very much... It's like a mix of your gothic vampire... Yeah. But mixed with your modern, like like we mentioned, um, the burbs, gremlins, that sort of uh, yeah. feeling as well. So they, they, they really mixed it in quite well. I mean, the whole fact that Jerry's house looks like a stereotypical vampire's house... It's funny. Yeah. That that adds to the you know the tone of the film. Yeah, and it's absolutely nineteen eighty five as well. Yeah. You, you go to the disco scene it's at the so club. Yeah. You know, um, that's a great scene. Yeah. Great great cinematography in that. Scene. Yeah. And then you even get stuff like Amy dancing with Jerry and looking in the mirrors at the nightclub and he's not there. And yeah. These all these little things, you know, I mean, when they there's a scene where Amy and Ed get Peter Vincent to go to. Jerry's house with Charlie and prove that he's not a vampire and obviously he gives him normal water, pretends it's holy water and then, you know, he looks in his mirror and Jerry's not there and it's, it's these little things here and there that just add so much to the suspense as well as the comedy and the charm, you know, it's it, it works so well. Um, and obviously, one of the best things about the film, Brad Fidel's score. Yeah. So this is the composer who did Terminator and you can really tell. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great score. It's synth heavy. It's it's atmospheric when it needs to. It's exciting when it needs to be. It's great. It really is. And a nice cheesy soundtrack as yeah, well. It's, yeah, You know, some of the song choices. It, it are has very its own 80s. fucking theme song. Yeah. I mean, you know, what more could you ask for? Yeah. Uh, Twenty eleven. It's a well made film. Still, there's there's absolutely no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But does it look too different to everything else that was made around that time? Oh my god, it's so dark. I, d- I don't. It's very know dark. If, it's very dark. Were you having issues with our TV? But um, no, it, when I saw it in the cinema, it was that dark. Yeah, it, you well, know. I really struggled to see sometimes. Mm. There's some great three D effects. Like it, it goes with the whole 
you know, things coming out of the screen like you would get in the 80s. Like, you would have got if Friday Night was in 3D, mm. you know. It, the 3D is really good. And it's around that time where remakes were being made of 3D like uh, My Bloody Valentine. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's one of those where it, it just, it does look like most of the films that was made around that time. Yeah. But that's not to say it was badly made. It was very well made. Yeah. Yeah, the CGI is a little... The CGI is the problem. Yeah... It, the CGI doesn't look great. Um, like, this is the same year when the Thing prequel was released. And the studio, they, they had a whole, for the Thing, they had a whole uh, blueprint of practical effects that they were going to use for that film as a homage to the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the studio wouldn't let them. The studios were cracking down and saying, look, you've got to use CGI. So whether that's the same case with this, I'm not sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. Because the original, you know, it's a big part of the film is the practical effects. It relies very heavily on it. Yeah. Um, But this is just pure CGI all the way through. Yeah, and if you're going to go with a more action-packed... Um, I, I think this, the, the remake's more action-packed, yeah. particularly towards the end. You, you have a massive fucking car crash as well. Mm then the CGI just, it takes away from the film, I feel. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got to be good CGI for it to work. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's really not. Uh, I think there's less comedy in this one as well, more straight-up horror. Yes, yeah, I would agree. Um, this, this less was, camp value. Yeah, oh, it's definitely a lot less camp. This is this is your more... Um, if, if someone told you Michael Bay made this film, you wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> it, it's a very... You know, the the 80s film's very gay. This one is very straight. There's there's no other way around that. You know, that's how it is. Yeah. There, there's no, all that allegory and everything that you got in the original, it's all gone. Yeah. It's all gone um, in this one. Um, if anything, in this one, the, the closest thing you get, as I mentioned, to being gay is... Uh, something amongst the high school bullies, like maybe calling one another gay or something. Well, no... Um... Jerry says the same line from the original, or, or a very similar line, as to um, he knows what it feels like to be different. Mm. So when Eva led him and Eva led in yeah. the swimming pool, <laughs> um, he says to, to Eva led, uh, I, I also know what it feels like to be different, yeah. or, or not to fit in. Mm. Um, but that's Probably more in reference to Evil Ed. Being a geek. Well, yeah, and, and not having friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the score's okay. I don't really remember it, it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not... It doesn't stand out. Uh, it's not very memorable. It hasn't got its own theme song, so... No, no. Um, but yeah, I mean, so really... I mean, even the set pieces aren't as great. Really? Mm, no, no, no. I, I mean, you look at the house in the original. It's it's a gothic manor. It looks fantastic. It it presents that old school feeling. It, it depends what it what it it's going for. Um, I I assume that the in the original film, Jerry wanted to stand out. And yeah. He made absolutely no. Uh, he put nothing in place to hide the fact mm. that he was a vampire yeah. from Charlie. You know, he, he bit that woman right at the window, like an open curtain window. Yeah. Um, whereas I think with the remake, they were going with 
the Jerry character trying to fit in. Yeah. Um, so he was very normal in a very normal house. Mm-hmm. And he, his, the, the neighbour, the stripper victim, um, he hid. Yeah. He hid away. Uh, Charlie had to go delving in to, to find it. So I think they were going for two different things. Yeah. For, particularly for the Jerry character. Um, the original just, it's a little more grander. It's, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I liked the campness of the original one, yeah. and I just thought the the remake was just a bit plain. If that's what they were going for, then great. But mm. yeah, I mean, I think for all, all those pointers, um, you know, cinematography, scares, gore effects, and score, I I, I would go with the original. Yeah, um, like I said, I I like the remake, but I, I'd still go with the original because if it makes it stand out. No, the, the original was scary. You know, I mean, I remember when I first watched it. I I was really young, and it. That first scene where Jerry goes into Charlie's bedroom, it was scary. Mm. You, you know, the the effects of makeup and everything make him look like great vampires. Because, I mean, you've got many different types of vampires. And and the type in, in Fright Night, the ones that I prefer, the ones that actually look like they belong in a horror film. Yeah. Yeah, so when they turn, they look um, ghastly. Yeah, they have really. like sharks... Teeth and yeah, they, they, they're very reminiscent of the, the Lamberto Barber film, mm. Demons. Yeah, um, yeah, they do look like de- yeah. Um, so they look like that, with big sharp teeth and, yeah. So moving on to characters, um, we have Charlie Brewster, who is played in 1985 by William Ragsdale, and 2011 by the late Anton Yauchin, who sadly died of a very, very young age. Um... So Anton Yachin is a great actor. He's a really, really great actor. He was fantastic in this. He was fantastic in Green Room. He was great in the Star Trek films. Um, William Ragsdale. I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. I no. get him mixed up with uh, Gremlins guy, Zach Galligan. Yeah, no, that's not him. They, they both look really similar to each other. I don't think we've seen him in anything else. I think... Performance-wise, I think they both deliver great performances. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think they're all right. <laughs> they, really, they haven't really got much to do, have they? No. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those, they, they get the job done. Yeah. You know, they, they, they do what they've got to do. I, I found William Ragsdale slightly more likeable only because he was frantically trying to get everybody to believe him. So you knew what was going on. Mm. So you're more on his side. Um, you know, he was a bit more clumsy with it as well. You know, he was funny, but he was obsessive. Um, you know, you, you thought this guy was genuinely going to go and kill this vampire because he was so obsessed. I think he was meant to be more likable than in the remake. Cause in, in the remake, he's, how we the characterization of Charlie is literally somebody who has com- dismissed his old friends. Yeah. Because he didn't think they were cool anymore. Yeah, and he's trying to be someone he's not. And uh, but in the remake, he has friends. Whereas in the original, he he's literally got his girlfriend and Evil Ed. Yeah. And I'm not even sure if he liked Evil Ed that much. No. <laughs> he didn't care. Um. So it's it's a weird one. It's a weird characterization in the original. Yeah, because um, you can't tell if 
was he meant to be a cool kid? Mm. Uh, was he a dork? Evil Ed's pretty much a dork, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's referred to as his best friend. Yeah. You know, they don't really say many nice things to each other. <laughs> but um, in the remake, it's, it's, like I said, it just comes across as he's trying to be someone he's not, and he's trying to fit in with the jocks more just because he thinks that'll get him his girlfriend. Um, yeah, and, and that, you know... I don't know. I mean, that just didn't really sit well uh, for him as a character. But then once he started getting involved and once he realised what was going on, you know, he was likeable. Again, he did the job. Yeah, and I think it it was trying to uh, characterise him too much, Mm. if I'm being honest. Um, And it's what films, uh, horror films at the time, uh, really tried to do was again, give this backstory, but then bring in all this, like, relationship drama. Yeah. And and all that business into it, to, to make it into a teen flick mm. as well, where you've got the dorks and the cool kids and Dave Franco's there as some sort of bully. Um, whereas in the original, it's just a straight-up horror film. Yeah. You know, this is Charlie, he's seen this, he's going to get to the bottom of it. Whereas in the remake, it, this is Charlie, um, his friend, who he's dismissed, is, has died, mm. and he doesn't care. Um, his other friend, who he's also dismissed because he didn't think he's cool enough, uh, thinks that so-and-so's a vampire, he doesn't believe him. Then he starts believing that he is a vampire, so then his girlfriend... Um, who <laughs> he's afraid of losing or, you know, all that business. If anyone finds out he's not cool. Oh, you know, all that shit. It's mm. just, it's over, it's just overdoing it. Yeah. And I, I just felt there were so many aspects of the remake that overdid it when the original was just a very simple horror film mm. with comedy elements and a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, I, d- I didn't need that characterisation of Charlie. No, and, and that brings me to Jerry Dandridge, where the two versions aren't that dissimilar mm, um, no. to each other. But in 1985, he was played by Chris Sarandon and 2011, Colin Farrell. Um I mean, Colin Farrell, I think he is... I think he's really good in the role. Oh, he's fantastic. He, he's yeah. really, really good. He's, he's one good. of the best things about that film. Mm. Um, he's creepy. He, you know, he's smooth. He's he's more menacing. Like, fucking, they weren't... You know, no one invited him into the house, so he fucking tries to blow it up. You know, he's he's more... You know, you don't think anything's going to get in his way. Um, which is just massively over the top, but, you know... It adds to him as a character. He's a bad guy. He's meant to be menacing. That's him. Yeah. And it, it's different to a lot of the vampire um, characterizations that we've had. Like, I think, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, he's yeah. there. How I sort of looked at it was um, Chris Sarandon's Jerry mm. was a bottle of red wine. Mm-hmm. Whereas Colin Farrell's Jerry was a case of Budweiser, yeah. you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, so he's not that typical vampire that no. we've always got throughout yeah. cinema, whereas Chris Sarandon's was suave, sophisticated, um, 
sexy but in you know a, a more sensual way yeah this is what I was going to get to I mean Chris Sarandon he, he, I I think the role is his it, it, it is his role he mm. you know this is someone who would you say he was in like bigger more sophisticated films would you say like he, I'm he not was sure I think he was a bit of a B-movie guy because obviously he was in Child's Play yeah yeah but that would have been after this yeah I mean, he he was Oscar nominated for Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, and that was before this. Uh, he where he went on to be in The Princess Bride. So I don't know if this is a. I don't know. I mean, horror was big business in the eighties, though. So it, it maybe wouldn't have been looked at as mm. a B movie. No. Um, whereas maybe it would be today. Um, I I don't think horror was really where careers went to die. So. Mm. But he, you know, his performance is so camp and just like you said, you know, he, he provides like a, a sexual appeal to the character. And, and of course, Colin Farrell does as well, but again, in a very different way. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's just something about him in that role where it just seemed so perfect. Like it was so fitted for him and his chemistry with Billy as well. Like, like you said, you know... A lot of people say it's implied about their gay relationship, but it was so obvious. And both actors must have knew that at the time. Yeah. Like, the, with the way they play the roles. I think it's a sign of change in times yeah. as well. I mean, Colin Farrell, I'd say, is more intimidating, whereas Chris Sarandon was more smooth and calm. Yeah, yeah. And more psychological. Yeah. I felt. Yeah. But I do think it's, it's a sign of the times, whereas yeah. in the 80s... You know, um, I I want to say not necessarily effeminate, but you you know that there was maybe a little more feminine mm. side to sex symbols. Yeah, you, you know they. Oh were, yeah, look they, at were, they were more suave and they looked mm. after each other, and, and you know, um, you had like new romantics. You know, mm. look at Duran Duran in the yeah. early years. They were in full face of makeup. Yeah. Still, women had them on on their walls. Whereas in twenty eleven, mm. um, you're more your sex symbols are more, you know, Vin Diesel action yeah. heroes. You know, yeah. I I couldn't think of Tony Collette in the remake getting excited over uh, Boy George next door. <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think it is a a sign of the times as well that that characterization. So which one do you prefer? I think. Um, for pure camp value, it has to be Chris Sarandon, but it's a very close call. Yeah, it they're is. both really good. It is. Um, yeah, it is Chris Sarandon. I mean, it, Chris Sarandon's style as well was just like he he was serving outfits. <laughs> yeah. More than some of the women in the film. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is uh, this is the uh, real interesting topic. Peter Vincent, played in nineteen eighty five by Roddy McDowell and twenty eleven by David Tennant. Chris, why don't you start this one off? Um, uh, I, I don't understand the, the choices that the make filmmakers and David Tennant made in the uh, remake. Um, it, I, I don't... In the original, there was the, you know, it alluded to all those classic horror actors, mm. um... Roddy McDowell is an absolute legend. Well, he wanted to go for the lion from Wizard of Oz as well, as inspiration for his role. Mm. You know, the ca- what, the Cowardly Lion? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, which makes sense. Um, because he was essentially a fraud. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, yeah. But no, he was an actor, but he came across as, as a fraud. Mm. You know, he was a bad actor who was scared to fight the real thing that he'd been acting for all these years. Whereas in the remake, it, it is, you know... Um, What's his name? Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Meets Jack Sparrow. Me- meets Jack Sparrow, yeah. And it just, I don't know, it came across as more stupid than funny. Yeah. Um, it, he didn't really didn't get much screen time. It was, it was jarring for me. Yeah. When, when, when I first watched it at the cinema, you know, this is I've been a fan of Friday Night for many years before this and I, I go there for this remake that was going so well up to that point and uh, I think David Tennant is my least favourite thing about the film because as soon as it comes on screen straight away it's fuck 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 tits fuck straight away and it's like whoa it's like watching Rob Zombie's Halloween remake you know you get this film the original doesn't really have a lot of swearing and the swearing isn't my issue but it's still a massive difference like you get Roddy McDowell is such a nice character, you know, you, you, you sympathise for him, you find him funny, you like him, you root for him. And then all of a sudden, David Tennant come, turns up and he's like, oh, I fucked her, I fucked her, fuck this, fuck that. I was like, what are you doing? You know, he's got no shirt on, he's got a big beard and long hair. Then he takes it all off and he's in his leather trousers, like scratching his crotch. And it's like, what are you doing? He's arguing with his wife. Or it's a sister. It's a sister. Yeah. Yeah, but she's always in a bra. Yeah. So I'm assuming that they're sleeping together. Oh, yeah, he right? says that they fought. Oh, I thought it was his wife. No. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, Roddy McDowell was funny because, you know, it's just subtle lines like where Evil Ed mentions to him about Orgy of the Damned and he's like, oh, that's my favourite film I was starred in. That's hilarious. His favourite yeah. film started was Orgy of the Damned. And like... When he's like, oh, I'm going to Hollywood for big roles, and like, oh, what if we pay you to come and help us? Like, wait, how much? Yeah. These little yeah. things that are so funny. And when, you know, the scene where he's watching Evil Ed die, Roddy McDowell puts so much emotion into that scene. He looks like he's actually crying. Mm. You know, it's these little things that make him so great in that film. It's such a highlight of the film. Um, and then, you know, they try to beef up David Tennant's Peter Vincent by giving him this backstory about his parents being killed by Jerry Dandridge. No, that doesn't need to happen. Yeah, then why was he so reluctant to join Charlie? Yeah. Roddy McDowell wasn't a vampire hunter. He was an actor. Yeah. You know, that's, so... That's what was funny. Yeah. But then you're telling me that David Tennant is actually a vampire hunter, but he's a magician? Yeah, and and it's it's what the remake does throughout is that it overdoes it. It's it's too much. Mm. The character of Peter Vincent is too much. Yeah. it's too over the top. There's too much going on, and he, it, I I don't understand how he, basically knows that his parents were killed by a vampire. Mm. He's created his whole career based around vampires. Yeah. And essentially the pretense that vampires don't exist because mm. it's a magic act, even though he knows that they do because he saw his parents killed by yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. This kid comes along telling him that um, there's vampire mm. and can you help? And he's completely dismissive of it. Yeah. You know, the, but so does he not believe in vampires? Does he believe in vampires? Mm-hmm. 
Does he think that his parents weren't killed by a vampire? Ugh. The film could have been solved, like, on that first visit to Peter Vincent. But instead, he gives it enough time for Charlie's house to be blown up and his mum to be put in hospital. Yeah. And Evil Ed to go down and kill his assistant before yeah. Yeah. he decides he to help just, him. He could have just been like, shit, this is it. This yeah. is the moment. Let, mm. Let's go get Colin Farrell. Yeah. But you have to over-milk it all so yeah. much. Where and that's one thing horror remakes did in when they, when they had this resurgence of horror films is they tried so hard to give backstories. They, they assumed everybody wanted a backstory. And um, a twist. Even fucking Prana 3D has a backstory for the fish. <laughs> it's like, you know, why? Why does that need to happen? <laughs> yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, why did we need the Freddy's a pedophile thing in this old backstory? Halloween, why did we need an hour of backstory? Yeah. The, the only one that does it so briefly... And then get some of the film. And one of the better remakes is Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. It basically remakes the first film within five minutes. That's it. That's your backstory. On with the film. Yeah. But then everything else has to have this fucking elaborate plan. Like Fright Night, there was no reason. It was just a neighbour. It's yeah. just a neighbour that he saw being shady. Found out he was a vampire. That's your plot. Yeah. It's wor- It works. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be overdone. You it know... Just- Chris Sarandon was mysterious. You know, you don't know a lot about him. You yeah. don't need to. Colin Farrell, up until that point, he was mysterious. He, he was just a neighbour. Yeah. There wasn't a big deal about made about him moving in or anything. But then as soon as that comes in, it's like, okay, there's the purpose of him being in this film. He doesn't need one, though. No. Well, we, we, we you know, all the classic horror films, the majority mm. of them, there's no... Nobody asks why... Um, Leatherface was the way he was no. in the original no. film. That made it scarier. Nobody... The remake didn't tell you. Rosemary's Baby didn't have to explain why no. the the old couple were devil worshippers. They, they just were. That's scarier. <laughs> That's scarier because you don't know. And it could be anyone And you know, life. And you know what's funny? A film that does do that in the 80s is Child's Play. It has a remake that doesn't do that, mm. and the remake's just as good as the original. Yeah. That says it all. Yeah, but Child's Play is very brief. It's only the beginning of the film. Yeah, yeah. It, does, it doesn't feel the need to explain... But it doesn't feel the need to explain why the voodoo <laughs> happens. No, no. You know, it's just... Well, this guy, he knows voodoo, and now he's in a doll. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... But yeah, I mean, Peter Vincent, without a doubt, it's Roddy McDowell, you know, who's the better Peter Vincent. Yeah, absolutely. Legend, through and through. Um, Amy Peterson, his girlfriend, 1985, Amanda Bierce, and 2011, Imogen Poots. I uh, feel like Imogen Poots gets more to do. Yes, um, absolutely. And she is a, a great character. I, I really, really enjoyed her in this. I mean, obviously, it's a far cry from her role in Black Christmas. Um... But again, this is the second time she shared the screen with Anton Yauchin, uh, both in Green Room together, and they're both fantastic in that together. I think them, the two of them work really well together. Yeah. There's, there's always a lot of great yeah. chemistry between them. I'm maybe going to give a meh for the character itself on both counts. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't th- I don't think there's much to them. No. Uh, they're both sort of damsels in distress by the end, aren't they? Yeah. That need saving by their, their, their knight in shining armour. Yeah. Um. I, f- I think in the original, 
it's strange in the original. Um, if I remember correctly, um, when she's become a vampire and Jerry has her, mm. uh, she's wearing a very low cut top, yeah, a yeah. dress, very flow yeah. dress. You can see right through it. Well, that's a different actress, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because when uh, the actual when Amanda Bierce had to take her dress off, and you see above uh, above her breasts, um, apparently during that scene, she did have a top off, but she put, she put masking tape over her boobs, yeah, so no one could actually so see her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be reluctant to say Imogen Pooch just because she gets more to do and she yeah. seems more stronger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, she doesn't throw food in uh, Charlie's face. <laughs> no, so no. that's that's a funny scene. But she she does have more to do. Yeah. In, in the remake, um, again, I think that's maybe a little sign of the times mm. as well. Um, well, the the other female representation in the film is of course uh, Mrs. Brewster. Uh, Jane in the remake, Judy in the original, uh, played in 1985 by Dorothy Fielding and 2011 by Tony Collette. Again, the case of Tony Collette gets more to do than Dorothy Fielding. Yeah, Dorothy, she's basically a non-entity in, in the first yeah. film. And uh, that's what horror films mm. were, were like. She's funny with what she has. She, she is, but, um, you know... A lot of horror films, particularly in the eighties, there there's no parental guidance. There, no, you know, um, there there's no. Peter Vincent comes in yeah. as a, a a kind of father mm. figure. Yeah. Um, but all all the sort of classic slasher films that there's no sort of parental presence, or the parents ignore what's going on, and that's what she's mm. there for. You know. Whereas Tony Collette in the remake is borderline super bitch. Yeah. Like she. <laughs> Colin Farrell turns up and she's basically like, yeah, I want to fuck him. Like, straight away, she's giving the fuck me eyes. She she really wants him. Um, and he acknowledges that. Uh, but then, as soon as he starts fucking with her son, she's like, uh, yeah, you're not coming to my house. And she stands up to him. And that parental yeah. figure is there. You feel that protection. And there. she believes She Charlie. believes him, yeah. She believes Charlie. And, and eventually she's written out of the, the film mm. well not not killed off but she's written out of the finale after the car crash yeah but even before she before she is before she's put in hospital you know she attacks him she stabs yeah. him with a for sale sign she does yeah you know so it's absolutely Tony Collette on that one it um, has to be yeah and, and we love Tony Collette in general anyway fantastic yeah. actress yeah yeah love Tony Collette and finally Evil Ed um, 1985 was Stephen Jeffries and 2011 was Christopher Mintz Plasse who is McLovin in Superbad it's hard to comment on this one when Christopher Mintz Plasse basically plays McLovin again uh, no, yeah kind of I mean I don't, I don't wish to be rude but um, I, I think he's definitely typecast he is typecast absolutely um you know, I'm sorry if if you're going if you're a skinny white kid with glasses. Yeah. Hollywood's gonna push you into those roles, unfortunately. Although he was quite different in Kickass, he was a millionaire's kid, weren't he? Who turns into the bad guy at the end. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But but still a little but goony. This is yeah. This is fresh off. This is quite fresh off Superbad. It's like three years later, four years yeah. later. Yeah. Um, and he's dressed like McLovin. He's you know he that's all you can see when you look at him. Yeah. Um. He's very much just what you'd expect him to be. Um, it doesn't really bring anything to the role. 
I think it's quite interesting that Evil Ed is the character in the remake that gets killed off first. Yeah, yeah, he does get killed off. About second, yeah, uh, second, yeah. But um, well, he becomes a vampire, yeah. doesn't he? Uh, as he does in the first film. Um, but I think it's interesting that he's the one that suspects who, you know, notices the vampire yeah, first. Yeah, I, I do find mm. that quite interesting. Um, and and then he's sort of bitten in a pool and written out and then just becomes a bad guy. Yeah. And when he becomes a bad guy, his CGI is really bad. Um, yeah. And he's not intimidating. Like, when he's chasing around, it's like, uh, you're being chased around by McLovin. <laughs> That's that's all I could see. It's hard to take it seriously. You're the reason why he gets typecast. (laughs) It's cool when he got his arm cut off there. That was funny. Um, But Stephen Jeffries, he is evil Ed. It's his performance and who he is as a person as to why that worked so well. I think he hasn't really got that much to do in the film. He's a scene stealer because of what he does. Because he's just got this very specific voice and look about him and that laugh and the laugh and like he's so quotable and he's everything about him he is perfect for that role yeah and you know this is a film with gay allegories and he he is one of the he's amongst some of the gayest things about it because he is a gay actor and they don't say that his character isn't gay he's presented as a gay character yeah you know it's all under the surface isn't it yeah but it's very obvious he is. He doesn't no mention of women from any, or anything from him. He's... No, no. And, you know, when he has that scene in the uh, alleyway is with Jerry, it's a very tender moment between the two. Yeah. Well, I ain't even funny. Charlie's the one leaving his girlfriend in bed to go watch <laughs> Jerry get it on across this it's street. True. You know? Um, and, of course, we get Evil Ed in drag. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. He's wearing, like, a red mop. It's like a Raggedy Ann, but like a mop. Yeah, red mop. He turns to a werewolf, but a, 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 a husky dog. By yeah. Looks of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. For some reason. It's, it, he's a great character. He is one of the best things about the he's, film. He's he, definitely a scene stealer. Yeah. He, so, I mean, it's absolutely Stephen Jeffries, but mainly because a lot of the film is associated with him. You, you know, you ask, the whole documentary is called You're So Cool Brewster, which is a quote from him. Yeah. You know, so many people associate Fright Night with Evil Ed. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's funny and camp. Yeah. And, and over the top in the first film, and it works. Mm-hmm. In the second film, I actually felt a bit sorry for him. Yeah. His friend had ditched him. Mm. He's, um, other friend died. Mm. He's made into a vampire. Yeah. Um, and eventually killed. Mm. You know, whereas the girlfriend character was saved in the end. Yeah. He, he wasn't, even though he was the one who brought it to everyone's yeah. attention. Yeah. If he hadn't have gone to Charlie, mm-hmm. then it probably all would have died. Yeah. <laughs> they all would have been vampires because his mum or someone would have invited Jerry in yeah. at some point. So I actually felt a bit sorry for him in the mm. remake. Um, whereas in the original, I just thought it was funny. Yeah. Well, our overall, um, I mean, I think as a given, 
the original is better than the remake. I, again, I still really enjoy the remake. Um, I enjoyed it. Is. I mean, I know I've bad-mouthed it, but I've bad-mouthed it in comparison to the original. Yeah. If I just throwed it on at some point, you know, not knowing that the original existed mm. or not having seen the original, I'd be like, that was all right. Yeah. Um, but comparing it to the original, you see the shape of horror at the time where everything had to be so much more mm. than it was necessary where you, you had to have an action-packed uh, finale with a twist and the, you know the big reveal and you know cgi fucking vampires why mm. why did there have to be all those vampires underground yeah come yeah out? There, there is a scene where there's loads of vampires underground that attack david tennant yeah um, unnecessary that it was just bloated i thought it was bloated in comparison to the original where you know sometimes all you need is a very clear story Mm. uh, a very clear idea of where it's going you know you could call it cut and dry you know but it works yeah and then you can focus on the other elements of performance and um fun mm. you know if you're overdoing it it doesn't become fun yeah and no, you get your fucking light sorted as well so we yeah it was see. very very dark um but yeah no i completely agree the, the original is better than the uh, the remake yes so uh it's time for our best and worst of the month would you like to go first or would you like me to go first um you you can go first, actually. So, I have some ties, actually, because we watched some good films this month. Oh, we watched some fantastic films We've this also month. watched some terrible films this month. Um, so, uh, going yeah. with the best first, my best would be a tie between Nashville, a fantastic Robert Altman film. I'm, I'm a sucker for a music film, and, and this is one of the best music films I've ever seen. Ronnie Blakely is fantastic. The whole ensemble cast are amazing. Shelley Duvall is serving constantly throughout, even though she doesn't do much. It's just it's just a great film. It's hard to know how to describe it. It's a film you've got to see for yourself. Um, it's a very simple premise. Uh, it revolves a lot around politics, but for some reason, you know, a film that's about politics so much is so fun, which is a tough task. Yeah, it doesn't sort it, of give... Um, I had seen Nashville previously, one of my favourite films. I was dying to show Gary it. Um, Robert Altman's one of my favourite directors when we watched a few of his films. Um, but Nashville includes politics, but doesn't take a side. No. No. Um, it, it deals with it really well. What it really is, is character studies. Mm. Um, so essentially it's... Um, oh my god like 24 characters i think it's 24 um all involved in the nashville country music scene in some way either as a singer a manager or or a girlfriend or husband or trying to make their way up and it's just little snippets of each of their lives over a few days leading up to a political rally leading to a shocking ending yeah Um, yeah it's very rare you get a film with so many characters where every single character is fleshed out Mm -hmm. and gets enough character development to let you know who they are what they're about you know it's that's very rare but it it did it successfully 
Uh, we watched a few Robert Altman films. You know, he's, he's a fantastic director. Um, but tie-in with my best, uh, with Nashville, is Cape Fear, Martin Scorsese's remake. Now, I haven't seen the original, but Cape Fear was an immediate favourite of mine. It is phenomenal. I absolutely loved it. It was shot in the style of a 1950s noir film, you know, mixed with a 1950s thriller. It was so old school, but yet so 90s at the same time, and yet still felt so modern to today. It's aged gloriously. Robert De Niro is... He's one of my favourite actors anyway, but in this film, he's unrecognisable. He is horrible, but he is so good at it. Jessica Lange is fantastic. Jennifer... Um, Juliette Lewis. Ju Juliette Lewis <laughs> is fantastic. Uh, Nick Nolte, it, it, perfectly cast. It's just incredible. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great film. Um, my worst, it's a three-way tie, because we've watched a lot of shit this month as well. First up is House 4, a film we didn't even finish uh, because it involves an entire sequence of a pizza guy singing a musical number about how he's a pizza man. <laughs> and the same pizza then tries to kill the woman living in the house. <laughs> and the main character from the first House film returns with a completely different story, but the same name. And he dies and uh, at the end we get to see him go to heaven. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, House 4 is my worst film of the um. month. Um, and I've repressed a lot of memories relating to that film. Because mm -hmm. I just... I thought it was shit. Really, really shit. It didn't need to exist. So boring. Badly acted. Badly acted. Um, I didn't know where it was going, no. what it was trying to do. It was barely a film. It, it was barely a film. It really was. And I was glad when we switched it off because it was shit. Which brings me to my next one. Disturbing behaviour. <sighs> so this film, nothing happens. Next up, um, <laughs> literally nothing happens. Absolutely fuck all happens in Disturbing Behaviour. It is just loads of nonsense randomly thrown together. <laughs> it, and it's boring. It does struggle to find um, a plot. It wants to be Invasion of the Body Snatchers meets Scream and it's just, it's just shit. And it's just shit. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing more to say about it. It is awful. I think he was also trying to say something about class culture. Um, but it really it struggled to find its feet. Yeah. To be fair, um, there were elements in there, but they just didn't come together very well. No. Um, quite a well-known cast. Uh -huh. Probably not for the time. Um, got Katie Holmes and uh, James Marston in it, didn't it? Mm -hmm. um, but they had nothing to do. No. It, there was no. It was boring. It was boring. Last but certainly not least is Sex and the City Two. <laughs> Talk about a film where nothing happens. <laughs> so we'd watched the whole six seasons of Sex and the City. I loved the show. Watched the first film. I was disappointed by that, but didn't hate it. It was just essentially five episodes thrown into one film. And this fucking sequel. It's like they never watched an episode of a TV show. I, I don't know what they were going for. Like, you got Charlotte, who's now this terrible mother, who... 
just can't cope with her own kids. Yet she played up so long to have kids, and it was a, such a sentimental storyline. But in this film, she's. It's just, I don't even recognise her. You got Miranda who keeps saying random shit, like just one liners every now and then that are fucking terrible. Carry on, don't get me started. And Samantha's her usual obnoxious self, but for a change, not in a good way. Like she shouts condoms at a bunch of. Arab people, it's... Yeah, Samantha turns... So Samantha as a character was always celebrated for being sexual. Mm. You know, she knew what she wanted, she knew what she didn't want. And she was of a certain age, and she was still sexually active, and, you know, that was celebrated, you know? If she, that's how she chose, chose to mm. live her life, that was fine. In this film, she is sexually active um but she also thinks that because the culture in the united arab emirates mm. in um uh, abu dhabi isn't then they're in the wrong yeah and it's... She, she it's like she's trying to attack people yeah with her sexuality it's so racist it is one of the most racist films i've ever seen in my life it's it's racist in the sense that it's trying to um empower it's trying to say something about the empowerment of women uh particularly in these um middle eastern countries so it thinks that it's given a positive message out. But it's That's not. That's what it thinks it's but what, doing. But why did you need that from Sex and the City? But why was it, that needed? Yeah. But what it ends up doing is being highly offensive to these, to a culture. Mm. It's, you know, it, it feels like it's trying to attack um, the, the Arabic culture rather than empower women or try to show a different side to arabic women you know mm. it, it doesn't include any fucking arabic women no no it, it's not it, it's it's these four obnoxious american women going to um abu dhabi mm. um one of them acts completely inappropriately mm. and you know screams at people who take offence to it I'm sorry but if if somebody if we were in a club in fucking Coventry and a woman was doing what she was doing mm. I'd be fucking offended yeah yeah it's highly inappropriate yeah. the characters feel like they don't feel like the same and no it was um, my friend said oh uh, you know the characters don't feel like the same characters no. that were in the TV series they're not the characters that we went six years following, you know, and getting to know. These are completely different yeah. women. It's, it was apparent in the first film, a, a little bit. I enjoyed the first film. But in this second film, I, I have no fucking clue who and these women are. Fucking, the writing is dumb. Carrie bumps into one of her exes on the other side of the fucking world. <laughs> How convenient can you be? They all wear burkas at one point. It is embarrassing. Yeah. It, 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 it really it, is. It's very... It, it, it was misjudged. It's two and a half hours long. Why the fuck did it need to be two and a half hours long? <laughs> Both films are so long. And the episodes of the TV show are 30 minutes each. 
It's it's fucking ridiculous. So that is my worst. Did you enjoy the Liza Minnelli? No, I did not. Number? Oh yeah, we opened with the most stereotypical gay wedding you'll ever fucking see, and Liza Minnelli performing "Single Ladies" by Beyonce. That says all I need to say, really. I found that a little bit funny. I'm not gonna lie. Look at you. <laughs> Please continue with your best and worst. So, yeah. So, my worst was House 4. Mm-hmm. I, I'd already seen Sex in the City 2, um, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, House 4 was just abysmal. I, I, I genuinely thought it was so boring. Um, but my best is... Um, so, we, we did our Robert Altman, and there were a few Robert Altman films that I hadn't seen. Uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller was absolutely fantastic. Uh, we watched The Player, and that was really, really good. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, Robert Altman is still one of my favourite directors. Gosford Park we enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also did a little bit of a um, uh, classic Japanese cinema uh, marathon. And uh, we watched Harakiri. Was that this month? Yes, it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So Harakiri is now one of my favorite films it was absolutely phenomenal um tremendous yeah samurai picture uh with some real heart um and some fun action towards yeah. the end as well um we watched sancho the bailiff um that was fantastic that, that was um i thought it was going to be a, a samurai film really and it, it's not it's actually a really heartfelt drama yeah um about these these two children who are taken away from you know their their mother and they're treated very poorly and it's a story of a life mm. you, you know and very um sad at times but also quite heartwarming in others fantastic films and um i'd recommend both of those uh, we also watched the Human Condition trilogy. Wow, I forgot that was this month. Yeah, uh, that was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, well worth the investment. It's three films. Uh, each of the films is three to three and a half hours yeah. long. So it's a big time investment. Um, but just... just it's up epic. there with the, the, the big trilogies yeah. for me. You know, The Godfather, Absolutely Lord epic. of the Rings, Star Wars. It's up there with those for me. It tells the story of a... Well, he begins as a pacifist um, during the end of World War Two. Uh, it's a Japanese uh, film, so it's a Japanese character. And he... Well, he begins working um, in a... Is it a mine? Yeah. Yeah, in a, a mining um, community. And he's sort of in charge of uh, getting the most out of the workers. Some of them are Chinese prisoners of war. So as a pacifist, he, he's always in two minds uh, about what to do. Sometimes they're quite violent towards the prisoners of war, and you know, and I'm not, I'm not selling the plot very well, but um, just what you need to watch. You need to watch it, and then in the second film, he's forced to join the army, uh, and in the third film, um, we're getting towards the end of World War Two, like the very end, and he goes in search of his uh, wife. Uh, he wants to go back home. You know, Japan have, have lost the war. And it, it's just a fantastic... 
story and you followed this one character through all this time and you know nine hours but you're never bored i.e no always very interesting enthralling engrossing all those words <laughs> just i really recommend it to anyone yeah wonderful so that is it for our best and worst and our original versus remake uh, if you're listening on Facebook, if you're listening on Facebook, I mean Ooh. you can. We we do put the video on Facebook. If you're listening on iTunes, then rate, review, and subscribe. Like and follow on everything else. Tell us your favourites and least favourites of the month, and talk to us about Friday Night. We know many of you love it. Um, we are Horrible Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrible Trash on Twitter. I am Gazmo two hundred five on Instagram. Gaz Cruise ninety two on Twitter and Delight Gaz ninety two on Letterboxd. I am Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter. And we will see you next week for our first, well, we'll see you on Tuesday for our first of five, five, whopping five, five episodes this month. Five times. Maybe six, because original versus remake. Of all these wonderful episodes for Pride Month, where we'll be talking about LGBT-themed uh, films from... Probably mainly the horror genre, but we're uh, still deciding. Mm -hmm. So uh, keep posted. And we'll see you on Tuesday.